Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. And welcome to this program, episode 240 of the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. All right, let me turn that back on. Try that again. And I'm Timothy Harvey. Yes. <clears throat> Somehow I turned it on. I, I clicked the button and it didn't click. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. there we go. <laughs> sure you did. We got to have the one, the one mistake of the night, right? That's our one. Okay, cool. That's our one. So, um... <laughs> How you feeling? How you doing? I'm doing okay. I think, no. um, <clears throat> folks, we we you know obviously we've been trying to have do these shows in person, you know, because it's more fun when you're in the room with each other. But I've been it's finding you. some sinus garbage, uh, and in the is as an, an abundance of caution. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure it's a sinus infection, but other than that, we're just you know. Well, and I happen to know for a fact that I don't have it because I tested before the Chiefs game, so that came back negative. It's the, it's one of those tests you're happy to fail. Oh yeah, no kidding. Yeah, but uh, um, anyway. and I think that that there, uh, I, I will. It, I hope this is the first of of a long string of of <laughs> tests where I don't do well on this particular one. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So so by the way, yeah, folks, I actually wouldn't. I I got a wouldn't got a COVID test, so um, we'll have to see. But I'm I'm not. I'm I'm more more thinking it's a sinus infection. So. Yeah. Well, from from the symptoms you've described, it sounds like that's what it the is. The early so. stages, the two of them uh, have a fair amount of overlap. Yeah. Sinus issues and respiratory issues, and can have some stuff, but. As this has gone on, it's yeah. The the divergence between the two <laughs> has, has become <laughs> fairly solid. But uh, oh. so fingers crossed, and my results come back, everything will be fine. So, so in the meantime, we make our adjustments and and uh, we do this uh, virtually, I guess you could say. Um, something that Mrs. Boss pointed out. She's been. She's she's been walking the neighborhood, walking the blocks, walking the neighborhood, just trying to, you know, just getting out for a sure. little bit. Yeah. And uh, she's been listening to some of the older episodes of this show. And she looked at me today and she said, something I've noticed, she said, you don't talk as much as you used to. <laughs> I'm like, well, maybe I don't. I don't know. Um, she, she seems to think that it's partly because as I'm sitting in my chair over there, I'm fidgeting and watching all of the buttons and the engineering and making sure that everything goes right and paying attention to that and not, and not, you know, I'm distracted from the conversation by trying to do six things at once. Right. Right. And she could have a point. Uh, it could also be that I'm... Maybe the older I get, the less I feel like talking. I don't know. It's I I've never noticed that that there's a difference. But well, but the show has also been at various points much much longer than our current yeah. format. 
So there's been more opportunities to have longer stretches of time where one of us is talking. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there, there's conversations that we have where you talk quite a bit and well, and I, I think quite a bit. I think the other thing too is with live from the bunker. Anytime we don't have a guest, it's me talking for an hour, and it could very well be that when I when we get here, I'm talked out, and I'd like somebody else to take some time and and do because you know that goes back to me not wanting everything to be me. And, you know, me being the, the primary on this. But, you know, it kind of it just kind of works out that way sometimes. But, you know, it's, well, let... Sure. Well, it's just like every time you talk about bringing back the Tim Harvey show, I'm like, nope. <laughs> Do not need to listen to myself talk for an hour. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, in the meantime. But you do always have the option of filling in on Bunker. So there, we'll, we'll just make sure that that's understood. Um because there are times when I'll probably need to be elsewhere and you'll probably have some topics that you want to talk about. And, and there, that gives us a forum for that in addition to this. So, anywho. So tonight we are taking a suggestion from the listening audience on remakes that are better... Than the originals. And I know that remakes and reboots have been deemed off limits, but we're getting into a very specific type. We're not just rattling off about reboots. We're going to talk about specific, very, very narrow niche box here to talk to. So, um, anyway. Uh, Sci-Fi Snob says he'd be interested to see Tim lead an interview with your choice of guest. Well, you did interview Eric Bress. Did you not? Didn't you? Yeah, that was yours. Was it? Did you? Suddenly, suddenly your microphone's gone. Your audio now is. Hmm, okay. Oh, there it is. Okay, it's yep. back. But yeah, you interviewed Eric. Um and we've talked about a couple of other ones that we're trying to get a hold of to to get in to to have you do. Um, a, a part of the challenge with that is figuring out everybody's schedules with work and and yeah. you know that kind of thing. But yeah, it, it's it's always fun for Tim to take the lead in the interview and to be the one asking the questions. I can just sit back here and push buttons. So. I do enjoy t pushing Tim's buttons, poking the bear, as it were. So tonight, but yeah, we're going to get very specific into a, a a niche part of talking about remakes because there are, and we've, and and Tim, you've even said, you know, a lot of time and effort for remakes should be spent concentrating on making a remake that's better than the original. Don't just remake yeah. it to remake it. Remake the ones that didn't work and come up with a way to make them work. So, yeah, because I mean, there's a certain argument to be made that, you know, and, and you can see, you can see the, the Hollywood argument here, right? The, the studio argument. And of course, it's not, just, it's not just limited to Hollywood. You see this all over the world, right? You, the, <clears throat> anytime you have a successful property, somebody sits there and comes along and goes, ooh, let's recapture that thing, right? That thing that made it super. You know, popular. We all, you know, it sold a bazillion tickets. It had the action figure line. Everybody loved it. 
and they're thinking they're trying to do it 20 years later and one of the reasons that so many remakes don't do well is and there's lots of reasons but one of them is is that you're trying to capture something that was captured 20 years ago with a different audience and a different time at a different moment in whatever culture's history and the zeitgeist and all the different things that that made that really be a thing yeah you can look at some films that don't necessarily age well humor has changed or or the that particular actor turned out to be awful or, or you know is a person like these things that, that carry weight right so instead of going back and remaking these beloved things um you know make the thing that didn't work but then you're into something like i don't know giant science fiction <laughs> classic novel that is you know we just got a trailer for dune and it's yeah. a good-looking trailer. It is. I, I'm, if, I'm looking forward to seeing it, actually. And if I'm a, and as a fan of the books, I'm excited about the potential that it's going to actually be a faithful adaptation. Mm-hmm. And this, of course, is a qualifier. Because we have to remind ourselves that when you're adapting material from book to movie, changes have to be made. Yeah. And, and this is something that it's a lot of... A lot of people seem to forget <laughs> they're different mediums, comic book to movie, comic book to novel, novel to movie, movie to novel. There's always a change. So you have to be prepared. For that sort of thing's going to happen. But this is not the first Dune movie, obviously. Um, you know, and there's a very, very divisive among fandom um, Filmed by David Lynch. Some people, there are people who love that movie. Most people view it as a very, very flawed uh, attempt. I mean, including David Lynch, mm-hmm. who will tell you <laughs> when given the opportunity, no, I did not care for that experience. <laughs> I'm very glad it didn't do well, so I didn't have to do the two other movies I was contracted to. Yeah, well, and it's funny because I have seen, and I don't know if you've seen this yet or not, there are some side-by-sides mm-hmm. uh, that people have gone back and taken the the current Dune trailer and put them up against the other Dunes. Right. And I, I have, I need to go back because I think these are edited trailers to match the current one. I don't think they're the same trailer because shot for shot, you wouldn't be able to do that with... You know, David Lynch's Dune, but also the Sci-Fi Channel's Dune. But I was really surprised at how many people were seeing the three of them together because somebody has taken all of the different versions of Dune and cut trailers to match the current one. Right. And so you have you have Denny Villeneuve's up top, and then you have the Lynch version, you have the Sci-Fi version, and so many people are sitting there saying. There was a version in 2000? <laughs> what 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 was this one? Who made right. this there sci-fi made a version of Dune? Yeah, and it was and actually quite good. I it was I thought, be- it, was a, I thought it was a fairly for for its budget. And let's be a qualifier there. Yeah. Um, and they made some very clever decisions based on budget as as an independent filmmaker. Um, we know that <laughs> you got to be very clever sometimes if you don't have the money. Yeah. They painted their back the, the the scenes of the desert the background scenes 
the you know you, you get like matte shots uh you know in your classic star wars movies right right these were painted uh backgrounds that were lit specific ways so it i mean it was it was a really because this is all shot on a sound stage and it was really clever and it actually works most of the time and it's a, and, and it almost takes it into there's a certain uh, i'm not going to say fairy tale but there's a certain mythic quality to the to this and, and an intentional mythic quality that that yeah. was in in it's in the story so it actually lended itself pretty well now can you imagine if the sci-fi channel's dune what it would have looked like with the volume with the studio they're using for the mandalorian the digital, all of the digital rendering and the environment. You're, sta- oh, been, you're standing in a, in a in a in a room full of LED screens, basically, and you can so, control the entire everything around you where you are. It's it it is incredible technology to see. The the only issue I think we would run into there is that they actually made so they made Dune and they made Children of Dune, which mm-hmm. was actually Dune Messiah. And Children of Dune combined into one. Dune Messiah, it's the shortest book in the series. Right. And so it was a fairly easy combination. Um, James McAvoy, by the way, is the star of that. Mm -hmm. He's the big star here. And that was was before he was a known known quantity. Everybody knew who he was. Right. And unfortunately, there's even combining those two books... There were some story problems with the adaptation, mm-hmm. and so I didn't quite manage to pull the same kind of numbers. And, and so, so going on to the really challenging book, and this is the thing that really, you know, if if you're a fan of the series, the thought of actually getting God Emperor of Dune made <laughs> um, is kind of like, yeah, could we? Because I mean, it's it's if. If Dune turns out to be a success and we get sequels, uh, and of course he's already saying that part two, because the the movie that we're getting is the first part of the story, so part two is apparently already greenlit. Um, that's that's he said that. Yeah, Dillanuva said that. We'll see if it actually happens. That's going to come down to box office, obviously. Um, but getting, I don't know how you could do God Emperor as a single movie it'd have to be a, a, a couple of films and the budget is going to be i mean because it's and the scale i mean talk about space opera yeah it's well, going to be the kind of thing where it's like yeah but now might as well have everybody singing now and now that the volume has a proven technology you know as as a as a thing because the mandalorian uses it almost uh not exclusively but it uses that as its primary uh, studio, they do some location stuff actually outside, but for the most part, everything is inside this LED screen game engine studio environment. And now that it's a proven technology, and I understand they're building another one in, in Spain, because this is going to be the new thing now, all you have to do is send people out to shoot B-roll stock footage your your background plates that can then be digitized and manipulated and all you got to do is walk into a room and light it up so by the time you get to the point where you've got something like god emperor of dune your budget doesn't necessarily have to be huge 
because you can do something there in a digital environment and create it all virtually. The potential is there. My biggest concern is Leto himself mm -hmm. because, spoiler for a 30-year-old novel or however old God Emperor is at this point, um, is that it's a combination of clearly going to have to be CGI uh, because even a practical worm suit is not going to work uh, and and a human and a human face and here's something that for all the technology that we've seen all the incredible effects we've seen combining human expression with cgi creations mm -hmm. we've still run into issues sure but with, the, still, but with the volume you're looking at the environment well, yeah, the environment, but I'm, I'm less concerned about the environment than I am concerned about making Lido play <laughs> to the audience. Right. And you have to. It doesn't work. If you, if you can't be convinced that this is essentially a nigh-immortal, um, you know, half-teenager, frozen, teenage, you know, teenager frozen at, at a certain age of development combined with one of these giant sandworms and make it play to the audience. Yeah. You know, you get you don't want you don't want a really cool updated version of the Scorpion King here. Yeah, it's just not going to work. It doesn't matter how good the technology <laughs> is if it if you're if you've got Uncanny Valley yeah. happening. So I, I think it's a, it's a challenge, and and I'm I'm excited to the opportunity that we might get to see it because it's a it's a fascinating novel, and and the action scenes will be amazing. But it's, so much of it is um, like you know there is a lot of discussion and big thought happening here. Yeah. Well, um, so it could be interesting. I would think that if it were me and I knew this was going to be a challenge going into it and it all depends on the technology because motion capture being what it is, you, you have to be able to um, make it work which costs money. So if you're smart about it, you take pieces of the budget for the current project and you set it aside for development of that character. And that we say, okay, we, we have to set aside some assets and continuously work on that all the way through until we get to the point where we need it and now we've had all of this development that now we don't have to spend gobs of money to make it work. We've been working on it this whole time to make sure it works. So by the time we get here, we're not blowing our entire budget on that one effect. Right, right. Oh, and, and I think that if they are actually considering this becoming more than, you know, two movies, let's see if we can make this work. Yeah. Um, then they probably are. Um, and yeah, Snap by Snap, it, it's it, especially when you consider the scale of the action scenes in the previous films, but the way that there's enough going on, especially with the reveals about Duncan and what happens, spoiler alert, um, we're going to keep that to a minor, that there's, there's, enough, there's enough action in the film to, to, I think, satisfy. There would be enough action in the film from the book to satisfy um, a certain percentage of the audience. Um, you know, hopefully they won't sexy it up too much because well, it is about it, it is, is about it is Hollywood. It is a movie, and Hollywood and, uh, always learns the wrong lessons. We know that 
Well, but if, if 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 Villeneuve can be still would be involved, one of the things that we've seen yeah. is that he's when he is working with source material that has uh, rules, he likes to play within those rules. I mean, his version of Blade, his his sequel to Blade Runner, um, captures that film in in, in a very real way. Yeah. It captures that that environment, and I think that a lot of that a lot of folks who really enjoyed it. Um, you know, really appreciated the the work that he he did there, and it it's just not a fast paced film. And 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 God Emperor is not necessarily would not necessarily be a fast paced film either, unless again you yeah you do lead into the political intrigue, which has its own pleasures well, as well. If you do it as a spy thriller, it doesn't necessarily have to be action packed and you know have the big set pieces oh there's and tons and tons stuff. of tension in yeah. the story i mean you could do it as a suspense thriller almost oh it's well Psychological. There, yeah, there's, there's there's a lot going on there there's a lot going on there yeah. um and uh oh i'm sorry uh been there doing that no i'm sorry you you have to go i'm sorry it's not allowed <laughs> we'll do the puns here uh every now and again uh, but no, that's that's perfectly. Yeah. Well, that's that's funny. The, the the funny part about it is that you know you talk about uh, Blade Runner twenty Blade Runner twenty four. What was it? Twenty forty nine. Yeah. And I'm looking through all of these lists of you know remakes and reboots and all these great ones and whatnot, and they list Blade Runner twenty forty nine on there, and. It strikes me as odd because it's a sequel. It's not right. a reboot. Well, I've seen some lists where they include things like Batman Begins, and I'm like, okay, guys, comic book movies have their own little category here because they're not really reboots. They're not really remakes because the comic book industry does the exact same thing. Well, and it's I can the, see a it's Batman It's the business thing. model. Yeah, but, but I can I mean, see, it's, it's, yeah, but you've got the origin story, you're telling the origin story yeah, but again. It's, but it's, I can see that it's being the business, considered. A it's reboot. the business model of that kind of storytelling. Yeah. It's a sep- it's a separate thing. I mean, you can sit there and go, "Yes, Man of Steel's reboot of Superman." No, okay, no, it's not. It's a different version of I, I know you get into you get into these tomato, funny places. Tomato, tomato. Yeah, you know, but it's it's still. I mean, again, when you're in when you're talking about like a movie remake, mm-hmm. you're talking about a diff, it's a completely different industry and storytelling model than say the comic book world, yeah. right? Where every couple of decades, at least, leaving aside crises or or whatever, they update the character. Mm-hmm. So it gets kind of you know, it's like so. So, yes, there was a Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie and Thomas Jane made a Punisher movie. Um, yeah, you could argue they're a re- it's a reboot, but they're kind of like two entirely different kinds of movie. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like. A- <laughs> well, and then and then you have the Netflix Punisher on top of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, or you had the Ray Stevenson Punisher. Uh, that came just a couple years after um, the Thomas Jane one, yeah. which would have technically have been a reboot because they weren't happy with the Thomas Jane numbers. It gets complicated. Mm-hmm. But I don't see Blade Runner as a as a reboot. No, it's a it's it's a sequel. It's in fact it's it's directly a sequel. Yeah. Um, and then you have confusing things that are both a complete reboot and yet kind of lean into the sequel idea, like the Battlestar Galactica reboot. Mm-hmm. 
because it's a reboot. Yeah. And yet they sit there and bring the original Cylons out and, and there's, you know, and this has all happened before. Yeah. And it's, the, it's a, it's a thing that's baked in, but that's an example of, of course, an extremely successful reboot. It outlasted the source material uh, in terms of TV runtime. Yeah. Um, the first three seasons were extremely critically acclaimed. You can argue with the last season endings and things like that, right? Yeah. But th but that doesn't change the fact that they took the concept of the of the original TV show and turned it into a very successful different version of it. That one OP um, body. One yeah, OP and body that, And and you look at that cast and you look at and look at the stories they were telling, mm -hmm. and it was extremely successful and some fantastic storytelling most of the time. I got frustrated with the Galactica reboot once they settled on the colony. And then you had Cylon occupation and Baltar was the president and it got it got it went sideways from there for me. I think what was interesting about that and I don't think it always worked. No. But I think they were trying to do they were trying to tell a different kind of story and I think that sometimes, sometimes I can go, okay, didn't quite work, but at least you tried to do something new. Sure. And that, I, I felt overall, I felt like that with, with Battlestar. Um, but then you get into the last season and you start getting, oddly enough, oddly enough, once the show tried to lean into mysticism, mm -hmm. it didn't do that better than the original series did. And the original series mysticism was very, very basic. Yeah. And, and I think that that may have been the problem for Battlestar, the, the, the updated Battlestar Galactica, was that they didn't just sit there and go, no, no, <laughs> leave it simple. Yeah. Because, well, and, and, you know, the, the, the one thing that, and I can't remember where this was in the final season, when they started quoting Dylan, when they started quoting a Bob Dylan song, they they completely lost me. I thought, how ridiculous is this? They they are they are extraterrestrials from Earth, uh, you know, not from Earth, on their way to Earth, and as it turns out, when they arrive on Earth, it's millions of years ago. So there is absolutely no way that Bob Dylan's song would be a part of this and it completely pulled me out of the story it, it, it was an example of something that was a really i'm sure it looked really really clever on paper yeah and somewhere along the way the really clever idea turned out to be a thing that just didn't fly i mean if the last episode included bob dylan as a cylon then you could sell it but Bob Dylan you never showed up. I've come to destroy the world. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when they started doing, you know, there must be some kind of way out of there, said the Joker to the Thief. I, I thought, hold on, hang on, wait a minute, hold on. I've heard See, this before, and I, it doesn't I, belong I, here. I, I thought it, I mean, on one level, I kind of liked the, there was a certain amount of clever to it to try and sit there and go, okay, something something very odd is happening 
there's there's but the thing is that it just didn't pay off no it was so disappointing and, and if there if there had been a way to make it actually work i'm sure we would have said we'd still be talking about how cool it was that they made it work <laughs> but they just didn't and yeah. i think that this is one of the things that you look into was some of the remakes that have actually worked um some of them have been because they dealt with a story in a way that the original couldn't. Yeah. So you look at something like the the thing. Okay, you've got you know John Carpenter's The Thing, of course, which is widely regarded as just one of the greatest horror films ever made. It's a remake. Well, okay, Here, and here's where things the remake thing gets fuzzy, right? It's yeah. technically a remake of Thing from Another World. The, th- however, <laughs> however, Thing from Another World is an adaptation of Who Goes There, the novella Who Goes There. Right, by John W. Campbell. You would not have been able to make that story in the filmmaking world of the time. You couldn't. The technology wasn't there. Um, the, the the codes that the movie industry were, were following, you would not have been able to tell that story. Right. So they made what turned out to be a f- pretty high-quality, well-regarded 19... 19- you know, fifties science fiction movie. Great. Yeah. Cool. It just, it's, it's another monster movie. And it holds up actually. If you've never seen it, it, then I encourage you to check it out. Cause as, as, as an example of that, of horror science fiction in that time period, it's a great example. It's it's very, it's quality film. Mm -hmm. However, (laughs) Carpenter, because a, the technology was there, B the, the rules on what you could and couldn't show the level of violence, um, these things weren't weren't restricted anymore. I mean, the only biggest restriction was the technology, and of course, it's also widely regarded as one of the greatest practical effect monster movies ever made. Yeah, and justifiably. And so, you, I mean, it's a remake, and yet it has it has only the barest resemblance to the film it's remaking. The DNA is there. Yeah. But <laughs> the... that's funny. <laughs> I, I, I have my moments. I have my moments. But I think the, the other thing, too, is when you get into the definition of a remake, because we talk about, you know, Blade Runner, we talk about the thing, and the, the idea of, well, is it a remake? Is it a sequel? Is it a reboot? Is a reboot a remake? Is a is a reboot just we're going to pick up someplace else in the story? You know, those kind of things. And to That's me... That's how you get mutant words like requel. Yeah, yes. Ugh. And and what's the, what's the other one? Um, pre, a pre-boot? Pre, pre-boot? Yeah, a pre-boot. Well, and I think something like the thing where you're you're doing an adaptation because you know uh, Dune is another example of that. Or if you look at uh, Brave New World, for example, mm. or uh, 1984, where there is a film based on the book, and somebody goes back in. I Am Legend is is a good example of this. Right, sure. Where you have the book, you have a movie that's based on the book, you have another movie based on the book, you have another movie based on the book. Are right. those subsequent films remakes of the first film? 
or if they're going back to the original source material and doing a completely new adaptation, are they technically remakes? So I think you can get into a, a pretty fun semantic argument there, but I can tell you that on my on from my point of view, mm-hmm. okay, if you are because some remakes in films are remakes of the film version, not the story. So, for example, um, you would argue very strongly that the Will Smith "I Am Legend" is a lot more a remake of the Omega Man mm-hmm. than it is an adaptation of "I Am Legend" the novel. Even though they're all based on that book. Right. So I think that the, 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 in many ways, the Will Smith, I am legend is in fact a remake Mm -hmm. of another movie as opposed to a new adaptation of a book. So you can get into this fuzzy area, right? But there's also, I mean, if, if, if Villeneuve is remaking David Lynch's Dune, we're going to have a problem because <laughs> it, it, it's got built-in it's got built-in difficulty right there. Yeah, but if Sting makes a cameo, everything will be fine. Uh, well, it depends on the cameo he makes. <laughs> I'm just Eight. saying that you know that's a that was a pretty that was a pretty specific time and a place to wear that particular kind of speedo. I'm just not <laughs> saying that I'm not saying you can't pull it off now. I'm just saying that yeah. you know audiences may not want it, but. Well, the other thing, the other thing about that is you look at Planet of the Apes, for example, mm-hmm. where the new ones are technically preboots, I guess you could say, prequels that reboot the story in a way that okay, we know where it ends in Planet of the Apes. We know where we're going. How how did we get to that point where we've got, you know, those... And we've had those stories, you know, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, Battle for the Planet of the Apes. But the the prequels now that sit there and say, well, how did the apes actually get there? Now let's science it to death. But still recognize that all of that kind of sort of maybe happened-ish... Sort of. I mean, you've got War of the, you know, War for the Planet of the Apes. You've got Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, Battle of the Planet of the Apes, which are essentially similar stories mm-hmm. in terms of the conflict between humans and apes. So right. now, which one is is which timeline? Are we multiple timelines? Are we the reboots and the and the new ones supplant the originals? Are we going to get a Charlton Heston? Taylor at some point who comes back and realizes this is all you know this is all still earth I think eventually we probably could right now if it were I and no one has consulted me on this um, for a reasonable fee I will be a consultant on this I'm just letting you folks know uh, is I would not I would actually stop no. and let I mean you got you have you have pretty highly acclaimed versions I mean, especially considering that we've had less than highly acclaimed version. Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes um, is, you know, was not particularly well received for right. good reason, I think. 
Um, if you enjoy the film, good for you, but it's got some serious problems. The fact that they were able to go back and tell a relatively untold, not, I mean, it's, it's, there's been some of it there, but the go back to the origin to tell apart and to do it compellingly because we've argued more than once. We don't need to know how so-and-so became so-and-so, right? Mm -hmm. We don't need to know, we don't need Darth Vader's origin story. Solo. Um, so, yeah. But at the same time, what they managed to do was go back and not just tell the origin story, but they actually, they made dramas and thrillers that happened to be about right. this. And so, I mean, there was, I think, I think they got, they got the story balance, right? It wasn't, here's a Planet of the Apes movie, Apes movie that's a prequel. It's, here's a thriller about genetic engineering and, oh, look. Yeah. You know, it's, well, it's a plan of the age movie. And, and even then, with the Charlton Heston film written by Rod Serling, it's not exactly the same as the book. Because, as oh, no. I understand it, you've got, you know, the whole Statue of Liberty thing at the end is the movie. That's not in the book. Oh, yeah. Well, and, yeah, because you know, there's, there's, the there's book, all those differences. The, the Tim Burton ending is much more faithful to the novel. Yeah. And you see how well that went. Well, I think I think there's two there's two problems with the Burton film. Well, the two I'll mention. Okay. Is you already had the Charlton Heston one out there, so people are expecting the Statue of Liberty ending at the end. Mhm. So when you give them the ending that's more faithful to the book, ish you're subverting the expectation because now they're sitting there saying, well, you changed it because how many people have read the book? Right. It's a scale. It's a scale issue. Sure. Yeah. And the other part of that is that it's a Tim Burton Planet of the Apes movie, which in and of itself has issues because of, you know, Burton's sensibilities as a filmmaker tend to to lean you into a certain type of film that he makes. So your expectation is, well, Tim Burton's making Planet of the Apes. This is going to be wild. And it really kind of wasn't. It was it was odd, but it was Planet of the Apes. And it was not anything that you'd have any kind of a of a Tim Burton-esque twist to it. Right. It was for for a Burton film, it was incredibly tame. Yeah. And 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 to give credit where it's due, the makeup effects were fantastic. Uh, the the he casted extremely well. I mean, it was a fantastic cast, with the exception, unfortunately, of the lead. <laughs> yeah, Mark Wahlberg. And I'm not saying Mark Wahlberg. He's certainly been you know he's he's there are films that he's been quite good in, and and I, he's he, he's gotten better the more he's done. Right, and unfortunately, okay. So preconceived notions. Basing, you know, people surprise you all the time. Not, you know, first impressions, uh, quote, you know, are supposed to be important, but they're often wildly misleading. Yep. But you just never believed him as a scientist and astronaut. You just didn't, and and that's that's un that's unfair and it's unkind, but it's also how it is. I still have a tough time with with Matt Damon being an astronaut. And that film, he was fantastic in, in The Martian. He was so he was incredibly good in that <laughs> film. But we're we've seen him do so many other kinds of films that it just doesn't yeah. you know, it's it's like anytime you see 
if you see, uh, you know, uh, your favorite actor suddenly playing a villain. Mm. I mean, there were people. People were shocked when Robin Williams started playing bad guys. Oh yeah, well and he it, was so good at it, and it was well. It was the same thing as Michael Keaton playing Batman. You know, any mm-hmm. kind of a drama. I think because uh, I remember seeing Clean and Sober mm-hmm. because he did that before he did Batman. Right. Yeah. And the the whole. You know, Michael Keaton as Batman and Hullabaloo was going on at the time, and I saw Clean and Sober, and I saw what he did in that film, and I and I and I I had to look at Michael Keaton differently after that, right. and reevaluate. And I and and after seeing his performance in Clean and Sober, I said to myself, okay, I can see him as Batman now. I can see it because I've now seen him do a dramatic character, and he's got the chops for it. So, uh, Robert Heinz, Robert says, what if Villeneuve is making, uh, is doing a remake of Jodorowsky's Dune? <laughs> then, then it's all going to be crazy <laughs> all from bets here, are kids. Off from there, yeah. All bets are off. It's going to be crazy yeah. all the way down. If you've not seen the documentary about the attempt to make that particular version of Dune, it's very, very interesting. And you realize that if that film had been made, the idea of anyone ever remaking Dune, <laughs> it would it would be another generation before anyone would sit there and go, we're not touching this cursed thing. <laughs> well, and I find it interesting that people are pointing out that the trailer for the for the new one has callbacks to all of the other versions, including Jodorowsky's because of Pink Floyd. Well, yeah. Because so Pink Floyd was supposed to do the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And now you have a Pink Floyd song as the oh, you know as the track on the trailer. You know Villeneuve was like, oh yeah, we're doing this. Oh, absolutely. But here's the thing: one of the things that you look at the the scenes that we the clips we get in the trailer, they are some of the they are pieces of some of the iconic moments from the novel mm-hmm. that every adaptation is going to use. Right. You're going to use running from the sandworms. You're going to use the sandworms towering over you. You're going to use the Sotokar attacking uh, the, the, you know, the, what sort of looking for? The Atreides residence. You're going to look leaving Caladan. You're going to see Baron Harkonnen. You're going to see Raban. You're going to see these characters. You're going to want to see this. You're going to want to see the shields uh, mm-hmm. in action. Um, I mean, all these things are are iconic moments from the story. And so you're going to put them in the trailer. And so, yes, of course you're going to see these same kinds of, if you don't see them, they're doing something wrong. Now the difference is, and one of the things I'm really excited about is how much they seem to be leaning into book accurate descriptions of things. Mm -hmm. The shields, for example, in the trailer, it's almost hard to tell they're there, which is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the ornithopters have flapping wings because they're supposed to. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, keep going. You yeah. have my attention, yep. sir. You Somebody know, actually read the book. But what I really want to hear, there's some things I want to hear. I want to hear how they're going to handle the voice because in the, in the, uh, Frank, Her- uh, in the David Lynch version, it's a vocal effect, right? It's this, you know, layered vocals. It's not that way in the book. 
it's it's pitch, it's tone, it's it's a it's a muscular control that and an, an analysis that enables you to look at someone and go, I can I can make my voice be that thing that convinces you, mm-hmm. and and it's a skill that the Bene Gesserit learn, and so I'm just like okay. Show me, show me the voice, you know, show me the last guns, show me, show me these other things that, that are there. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and if they get it right, if they get it right. Yeah. Well, and, and as, as Sci-Fi Snob points out in the chat, the, the, they are key moments, which is what you had just said. And that also makes it easier to cut those other trailers for David Lynch's version and Sci-Fi's oh, yeah. version because they're in every version. They're in every mm-hmm. adaptation. But I thought it was interesting that people are sitting there and and calling out the Jodorowsky version when looking at this trailer because there is no Jodorowsky version really. There's talk of it. There's the documentary about it. So much concept art, and there, yeah, the, all the concept art. But there's nothing that. And but it it makes me wonder if he's pulling in, if he's pulling in, uh, 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 uh. uh Pink Floyd as a callback how much other stuff from the the other versions could he possibly be putting in here at least as far as Easter eggs or winks or yes I just did and you saw it and aren't we smart and clever you know those those moments have to be in there I would think well I, I think I think that would be I would be fine with that. I'd be fine if there were some nods to things. Um, you know, for example, there are all these little pug dogs running around the David Lynch version. There are no dogs in the book. <laughs> zero. There are zero dogs. No dogs. And, I mean, I, I, little small little cute dogs are awesome. I'm a big fan. But, you know, if there's a little pug dog there, that's why it's there. It's a, it's a David Lynch reference, yeah. right? Um, if there's, please, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for things that aren't there. I don't want heart plugs. I don't want sonic weapons, um, unless it's a completely different sonic weapon that I don't remember from the book off the top of my head. But it's not that. Uh, there, you know, I'm already pleased to see that the Sadakar aren't dressed in hazmat suits. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm hoping for. I'm hoping when when Alia, Paul's sister, is born, right in the second, which would be I think uh, part things tend to be in the second part of. Yeah. Um, that she's terrifying because she's a two-year-old, not a like 10 or eight or 10 or however old the, the actress was in the, in the Lynch version because she should be scary. You should be disturbed by this child. Well, and you're going to have, you're going to run into a logistics thing with that because if you, if you are to be faithful to the book, you're still going to have to play with the casting and oh, yeah. have somebody who could do it and look as young as you can make them look. Right. So, well, I think that's going to be one of those CGI things that we may actually have to hope that they can actually pull off. I mean, when you consider that, um, you know, make her a puppet like baby Yoda. <laughs> as long as they can make it work. Yeah. You know, considering that you, 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 your good news is, is that you have a lead in this one who actually looks like he's a teenager. Yeah. Even though he's in his twenties, and this is one of the things I think that, um, as as a fan of the novel, it really plays well because Paul is a teenager as this begins. One of the things that's important to remember in the course of the novel, 
is that he becomes this this war leader before he turns 20. Right. I mean, he's there. This is this is, you know, he's he's a messiah figure. This is this. And this plays out with some some negative connotations over the course of the books. And so there's some there's some really interesting things that if if this plays out the way it appears to based on a trailer and and folks, I I have some bad news. Trailers lie. (laughs) Not every not every really fantastic trailer turns out to be a really great movie. Personally, I love the Suicide Squad trailer. Didn't get the movie it promised. No, right? So, no. so I, I'm not I'm not that worried about it with this film, but it's also a recognition that, again, it's a weighty tome. Doom is not a small novel, right? And Dune Dune deals with a lot of things. Some of them are tough to translate to the screen. It's a political novel. It's an ecological novel. It's a novel about faith. It's a novel about war. It's a novel about money it's economic theory i mean there's there's so many things that herbert threw into this novel and then sat there and went you're just going to have to read it and follow along and i'm not going to spend a lot of you can go to the glossary and the index and see if you can figure out what i'm talking about when Mm -hmm. i talk about the landstrad and the you know the spicing guild and all these things um but now we do have a couple of things that are are going to make people i think a little confused if it's true to the novel because we don't if you've seen the david lynch version you know very early on that the the pretty much everybody is conspiring against the atreides and you, you find that out like in the first 15 minutes of the movie right that's not how the novel works you find that out in the last like tenth of the novel. Up until that point, you don't know. All you know is the Harkonnens are their enemies. You don't realize how big a conspiracy it is. You don't know that everyone basically is sat there and went, you guys are basically the sacrificial lamb so we can restructure power. So that's, you know, your expectations, if you saw the first, if you saw the David Lynch Dune movie Mm -hmm. and Villeneuve does it right, a lot of expectations are sh- are are going to be subverted, and they should be. So well, that's a, that's a thing I'm kind of wanting. I'm wanting. I'm wanting to be have to be subverted. As yeah, a but if he's you know if he's going to be eighty even eighty percent faithful to the book, you would expect oh, him to do that. And well, to, and I and think to that there's it. there's based on what we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. He's uh, whatever his percentage is going to be. It's it's probably going to be you know airing on the yeah. accurate side. Yeah. And I think considering that if you haven't seen the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries, uh, both of them, um, they're worth checking out. If nothing else, to see a legitimately a legitimate attempt to be faithful to the original story, and uh, and some clever some clever ways of getting around. You know, not having the most money in the world to spend. Um, well, and and given given the restrictions that they had, I think they did really well mm-hmm. with yeah. with a lack of that. Uh, early on in the chat, uh, we had let me let me scroll back there. Somebody had said, I, I guess, oh, it was sci-fi stuff. Dread twenty twelve is better than Judge Dread. Oh no, um, kidding! And I've seen uh, I've seen some others talking about 
Yep. The Stallone one was basically not Judge Dredd so much as it was Judge Stallone. Um, there was a. I am the law. No, no, you're not. Well, there was a, the video. The video that I saw, and I can't remember where I saw it. I was sorry. It was it was examining this idea of oh well, they were talking about we were talking about Pedro Pascal with the Mandalorian and wanted to get his face out there more and get the helmet off. And you look at the superhero movies, you know, Captain mm-hmm. America, Spider-Man, all of, all of these, where you have an actor in a mask. Right. And in the other Spider-Man movies, the Tobey Maguire ones, the Andrew Garfield ones, there were a lot of times where Spider-Man is without his mask. Mm-hmm. It either gets ripped apart or ripped open or pulled off or whatever. And sure, right. it seems like there's this this clause among certain actors that we have to have our face, you know, because we have to, you know, we're actors and we're on screen and they need to know it's us. And, and I think that it, you know, the discussion came out of that, but you look at the comparison, there was a comparison between Stallone's dread and Carl Urban's dread. The fact that Urban never took off his helmet. And they said that is a much more faithful, Mm-hmm. rendition of right. Judge Dredd and it's why everybody wants a sequel to that one and nobody wanted a sequel to the other one. Well, it also... Uh, the, so there was a certain kind of thing that you would get from a Stallone movie when it was an action film during the time. Some of this goes, comes out of the time the film was made, right? right. Uh, and so there's a certain visual texture you're going to get from mm-hmm. a Stallone movie. Uh, if you actually take that and and put it up against a certain film and think, yeah, Wesley Snipes could cross over from here <laughs> because there's a there's a visual tone, right? They're not they don't uh, they're not. Yeah, yeah. Demolition Man was fun though. Oh, but that's I mean... Demolition Man is a lot of fun, and I think that that's uh, you know that's an example of, of them getting that right. But as a completely you know, thing that isn't a sequel to anything. And how prophetic but... was it? Kind of disturbingly in some ways. Uh, although, thank God, we don't have the shell thing going on. Um, oh, no but, kidding. Well, I don't know. Actually, you know what? For all we know, the shell thing is awesome. We just never, you know. Well, see, and that became a thing because when this whole pandemic started and there was that shortage on toilet paper, everybody was talking about the shells. Right. And it was almost like, oh, hey, we're all living in demolition man time now. It's, but the thing is, crazy. is that no one actually developed and marketed the shells. It was a huge opportunity that was just missed. Anyway. Right. All right. Um, but no, Dread, the, the, the Carl Urban Dread has a grittiness and grime to it. It's it's a dystopia. Mm. OK. And it's it's a it. Although, oddly enough, someone did the math. And um, percentage wise, based on population. Dreads world based on the numbers that they give us in the movie right is surprisingly safe per capita yeah well that's it but sheer number of people it's like this is not a crime room and environment if you live in this building it is you're screwed but yeah. <laughs> outside in the rest of the world your odds are actually pretty good well and and really i mean if in normal times circumstances being what they were and not what they are uh you know most towns are like that you have that that area of the city where you don't go at night 
Although much of that has been changing. And to be honest, you know, I live here in Kansas City. And up until the point when I moved here in 2005, there are people who regarded downtown Kansas City as that. Yeah. And now it can change over time. But there's always now it's of course it's a hot spot for for, well not right now but (laughs) yeah but there's always that one little space sure you know and it could change over time and all of that but there's always you know you don't we don't go there at night yeah but the dread the judge dread universe for those who haven't read the comics that's kind of the world they live in it's all over the place yeah Uh, but it's no it's a it is a superior remake because it actually treats the source material as a adaptation of the source material as opposed to a Sylvester Stallone vehicle. Right. And that was a very distinct, that was, that was what that movie was. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you this, because last Saturday we had, we had uh, on, on Good Morning Multiverse, we talked about the RoboCop, mm. the, the new RoboCop movie that's in development. Mm. RoboCop Returns. And it's somewhat of a unique situation because it's technically a remake of the sequel. Because this story that they're developing now was supposed to be the original RoboCop 2 before Paul Verhoeven said, you know, I don't, I, I'm not into sequels. I don't want to do sequels. Right. And then the writer strike happened in 88 and they got force majeured off of it. And then when everything kind of came back, they went to Frank Miller and they went to Irving Kirshner and it was, it was an entirely different movie, but you have now an opportunity to remake RoboCop 2. The way you as, intended to in the first exactly place. as a, as a direct sequel to RoboCop mm-hmm. with Peter Weller and Ronnie Cox, and neither one of them are going to be in this one. But I understand for a time, while Neil Blomkamp was attached to this, he confirmed that the original RoboCop suit would be back in this one, and not the RoboCop suit that was in the remake. With Michael Keaton. Yeah, the problem with the remake of RoboCop is not that it's a terrible movie. Because it's an adequate (coughs) science fiction film about a cyborg guy. Mm -hmm. A cyborg cop, okay? The problem is, is that it's a RoboCop movie. Or it says it's a RoboCop. It has the name, yeah. Yeah. Um, If it had just been... if If it had a different name, we would have sat there and gone... Well, they kind of remade RoboCop, didn't they? And 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 judged it whether or not it was, you know, it, I, I, it still wasn't a great film. It probably wouldn't have done wonderfully, but I think it would have done better if they'd taken given it a different name. Uh, kind of like it, Star Trek Discovery. Well, I it, it, no, because I think Discovery and and the same thing with Deep Space Nine or Voyager. Is when you when you do a different version of the core idea, mm-hmm. that's a different thing, uh, and you can either and it either works or it doesn't, and 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 that. But that's a different. That's not exactly. You know, that's not a remake. That's a. Yeah, I was being you know, mean. <laughs> but I mean, no. But I think that some people some people tend to look at things that way, and yeah. they look at you know, and I think that if you run into stuff like um, whatever whatever the Star Trek movie universe is going to be like. Is because do you 
you know, what do you, what are, because they don't, we don't, you know, they don't seem to know what they want to do with the movie, what, what they, where they go, the direction they're to go in. I heard something about that today. Um, there is a website and take this for whatever it's worth, bags of salt at the ready, but the website giant freaking robot is reporting that Paramount has put the kibosh on all Star Trek movies and they've said, this is a TV property. It's going to stay a TV property for a while. We're not doing any movies and everything on the film side has been canceled. So I, I reached out to a couple of other people that, that report on this stuff. And I said, did you see this? And they said, yeah, we're aware of it. We're hearing some really interesting things. And I, I don't know what that means, but I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with giving the Star Trek movie universe a rest. Yeah. I mean, I, I want another Star Trek movie. But I also so these things go in cycles, right? Mm -hmm. Where sometimes the you know, and we've talked about this before with westerns or detective movies or science fiction films or horror films, superhero movies, right? Right. Superhero movies have stuck around a really long time for as much of a niche genre as they really are. Yeah. Okay. We've had our friend Kendall Sin for for years now has been <laughs> saying the bubble's going to burst. The bubble's going to yeah, burst. Yeah. Well, we're well past the point where he said it was going to do that. But the thing is, is that based on history, he wasn't too far off with his timetable. Yeah. When things should have when things should have burst. The fact that they haven't says that we're at a place right now, which is kind of like with Westerns. Westerns stuck stuck around for a long, long time. Right? Yeah. But so the model is definitely not consistent. But the idea being all this stuff goes through phases. And you know what? Star Trek phase, maybe maybe it's TV for a while, and then it's movies again, and it's TV for a while because that model actually worked out pretty well for them over the last several decades. So, works for me. But well, and you can uh, tell longer stories that way. Well, yeah, you can, and I think that that's for however you feel about whatever current iteration of of any of your show, Star Trek or whatever's on TV. Um, the longer format mm -hmm. allows you to get do more with character development. Deep Space Nine, of course, really for the Star Trek universe was able to do that for the first time. Yeah, because you weren't able to get that 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 wasn't the that wasn't the storytelling model for Next Generation, and so it was for Deep Space Nine. So you had the more developed character arcs. You got character development in Next Generation, but it wasn't the same thing, right? And then when you do, if you do sequels. In films, you can do that, too. To a point. To a point. But you've got an hour and a half, two hours to tell your story. Mm -hmm. You know, If it's a science fiction film, it may not be a drama as much as it is. You know. Well, and I think, too, in, in something like that, when you have a limited amount of time, you are reliant to a certain extent on tropes and mm -hmm. archetypes. and. Sure. Maybe not necessarily leaning into them 100%, but you are definitely going to have a certain amount of shorthand when it comes to what kind of characters are in this story for two hours, as opposed to 13 hours or 22 hours. Well, so, and it can also be how you, how you deal with a remake. So, for example, you look at the, the uh, Jeff Goldblum, The Fly. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you look at Vincent Price in the original, and you look at Jeff Goldblum... 
both these films are about a scientific experiment that merges a man with the, with the man's DNA with a fly's DNA. Right. The plot points are essentially there, but they're massively different tones. One is a body horror movie, mm -hmm. which was incredibly influential and shocking at the time. And of course, it actually made Jeff Goldblum, who was already, you know, a popular actor, it made him a star. And Gina Davis and just this, I mean, the, the, the effects work on it for its time was amazing. Yeah. But it's not the sort of cerebral Vincent Price touch melodramatic touch. <laughs> was um, that was that Rick Baker on the effects for for the remake? I think it was. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's tonally, it's an incredibly different movie. Well, and, it's like the thing. It's like the thing with the thing, the thing right. from another world. And then yet you have something like the you know the new version of Halloween, this new Halloween continuity, or that's a sequel to the original mm -hmm. and everything past one is gone. Yeah. Um, you know, technically this Halloween film is a remake of Halloween two. And yet it has nothing to do with Halloween two. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then, then you get into the question of if it's like with RoboCop 2 or with Halloween, where you have the new sequel that supplants the other ones, mm -hmm. or you look at something like Terminator Dark Fate, for example, which is a sequel, but it's also a reboot, and it's also kind of a remake-ish of something somewhere even though it's a mess, what becomes the definitive canon in these franchises where you have multiple sequels and okay. reboots See, and remakes and stuff? I so mean, it's, it, we're going to take the Terminator films and just push them out of frame for that one <laughs> because they blew canon out the window a long time oh, ago. Oh, I know, I know, I know. It is a, it is a time travel series that has less consistency in its canon than almost 60 years of Doctor Who. Yeah. And that's not good. Okay, <laughs> and that's, that's love, hard to do. And they, that, and they did it really that well. That takes skill. <laughs> that they have managed to muck their own continuity up that bad. And it, it's not a later thing. This, was, this happened early on in the, in the sequels. Yeah. Uh, they, they're, fighting, they're fighting a whole different set of problems over in the Terminator franchise. That needs to, the Terminator franchise needs to sit over here the wheels, and rest. The wheel started to do this at Terminator 3. And then, you know, well, you get to you Terminator Salvation. To do it, you could argue they started to do it in 2. Even though, as, as much as I love that movie, as soon as you make the killer machine your buddy, <laughs> there's a certain loss of tension. Yeah. Even if you got... Robert Patrick was, is fantastic. But once you've, once you've got my... My buddy, the killer, killer robot. Mm -hmm. um, it's a different movie. So well, and I think I, I think at that point, given Schwarzenegger's star power at that point. Oh, you mean if, it was a, it was a, it was a Schwarzenegger vehicle? Yeah, if he had come back as the villain, it might not have worked as well. 
I'm I'm I I'm like so many other people. I'm a huge fan of that film. So it's one of those things where it the flaws in their story structure mm-hmm. become far more easy to see once the pileup began and just kept going in film after film after film after film. Yeah, but- I can find something I like about every Terminator sequel. I can find a performance. I can find a cool scene. I can find a moment where I'm like, that's so cool. Uh, or that's a great line. And, you know, seeing Linda Hamilton back and all these things, you get that feeling. Mm-hmm. But then you look at the fact that they broke their story <laughs> three films ago. Well, and everything since has been breaking it further in an attempt to fix what's already broke. Because, quite frankly, the only Terminator sequel we needed was the TV series. Which ended on a cliffhanger, and we're never going to get the resolution on that. And quite frankly, the fact that they were able to get Shirley Manson, the one time she took a break from her singing career to be, to prove that she was an amazing actress. She's never acted. I don't think she's acted again. It was I, like, she was like, okay, I did the thing. This was really cool. Back to music. Mm-hmm. And I, I want the 10, 20 years later, bring back bring back the cast of the Terminator TV series and pick it up. There's, there's the remake and reboot that I want. I, that's the sequel I want. I want more evil Shirley Manson is what I want. Okay, so so having, having opened that door, let's real quick, let's wrap up with what, what film, because you have said a number of times, remake the ones that didn't work. What's top of your list? Oh, God. <clears throat> That's a really, really good question. Because um, it changes, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it sort of depends on the genre. So part of me really, really wants them to go back and remake It Chapter 2. It's like brand, it's just in the last few years, right? Because I mean, the first, the first, you know, It Chapter 1 was possibly one of the best Stephen King films adaptations that we've ever gotten. Right. I mean, it was scary, it was gorgeous. It was genuinely creepy. Some amazing child actors. Um, and then it chapter two, which is fine. It's fine. It's okay. It's good. It just doesn't hold up against the original. Give me, you know, give me a recut of that. Um, well, no, that's just give me a recut. That's, not, that's less <laughs> a remake than it is give me a recut. Uh, gosh. I want... And this is a tough one because you and I keep t- you and I like this movie. I want a remake of John Carter. Mm. Um, well, and and here and here's why I want a remake is because we're not getting a sequel. Point. And but I want a, so so give me a remake, but give me a remake with a kind of love for the source material mm-hmm. that we got with that. Yeah. You know the kind of the kind of the and so it's it's kind of like a niche remake. It's you know the guy who made you know the the people who made the that film loved the source material. We need that kind of passion and so, and a studio who's actually going to you know market it. Yeah, and have it be a Princess of Mars. Yes, there's your title. Yes, she's she's kind of you know. A critical character the story perhaps yep. <laughs> i think i would like to see if if we were just blue skying it i think i would like to see a remake 
maybe, of Star Trek V with the budget that Shatner needed to actually tell the story he wanted to tell. Because it would have been a different movie. It would have been a different movie. The problem is, is that it was a... I mean, it was essentially a TV episode. It was a TV episode. I think, I think, I think that's the problem with that. Yeah. In many ways, that's the biggest thing. But if, um, but in in the in the grand scheme of things, what he wanted to do in the third act, he never got a chance to do because all the money was gone. And if he had been able to, and and really. With Brand Farron doing the special effects instead of Industrial Light and Magic, you're already working behind the eight ball anyway. Redo all of the effects, let Industrial Light and Magic have it, and do it the way they're supposed to do it. And right. give him his rock monster army, his lava demons. I mean, that would have been so cool. It it definitely could have been. If they had made it work. But yeah, I think I think that one and and I could see a remake of The Twilight Zone. Mm. Only more Rod Serling and less Steven Spielberg Twilight Zone. Sure, sure. Uh, and even then, you could do a Twilight Zone movie and tell different stories, different episodes in that. Or, or do a Twilight Zone movie that's a completely original thing that we've never seen before. I'd rather see that, to be honest. Yeah. I would like to see... They've, and they've been promising slash threatening us with this for a long time now. I want to see Logan's run. Mm. I want to see a more faithful to the novel or even just honestly a remake of the movie with today's special effects. Yeah. Uh, because there's still something to be said for that particular story. I think it's still an, it still can be a very engaging story, uh, but we've they've been you know that's one of those films that's like oh I'm developing a new Logan's Run are you are you really well when you know we're gonna out? get we're gonna get a remake of Battlestar Galactica yeah <laughs> yeah about that well and I'm um, not I'm not sure I you know uh, what how about, do I feel about that I just don't know yeah I don't want one I don't, we don't need it it's not necessary it's oh it's not necessary it's Absolutely definitely not, not necessary. No and, kidding. And and I I'm not sure how I feel about the the Knight Rider reboot. Uh, we're past. I'm sorry, guys. As, it's as, coming. As, all right. It's in development. Dear dear, dear Night Rider fans, I grew up with that show too. I mm -hmm. was the right age when that show came out to be a huge fan of it when I was a kid. But I have news: American car culture. <laughs> doesn't exist like that anymore it just doesn't well and, and, so the, and the technology being the way it is now as it exists currently in real life how much more are you going to have to do to make kit this supercar if look right? seriously at this point if kit doesn't fly make you a mocha <laughs> and you know it's got it's got to be able to he's got to be able to sprout wings or something Oh yeah, there's um, just got to be something. I, I just yeah, don't I don't. I I don't know that it's ever going to get out of development. Because quite frankly, even the sequels and remakes and reboots that we got for Knight Rider, when it was a lot closer to the source material, mm. quite frankly, none of them worked. No, it was it was it was a thing of its time, 
And it was the moment. And come on, it was David Hasselhoff when David Hasselhoff was big. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I like Mazurus's uh, comment here. Kit would be a Honda fit. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, the the thing is, and, and Sci-Fi Snob touches on this, the 70s and 80s shows shouldn't be remade. And yes and no. If you're going to remake them, and, and we've talked about this before, the fact that you have these nostalgia trips that these, that these film executives want to hang on to their youth, and I'm, I'm dead certain that's what it is. I don't want to get old. Let's make the shows I grew up on. But, again, Hollywood learns the wrong lessons. They go back and they see those shows that they liked... And now they're looking at them through the filter of the nihilism of today and the cynicism well, you, of today. And, oh, these I, are so hokey. And then they turn them you, into parody. I don't even know if you need to look at it from nihilist and cynicism. You look at the point of view from you 20 years later. Yeah. You're just not, you're not the person you were at 10. Right. Or, or, or 7 or 15. But there yeah. are ways that you can do the Dukes of Hazard. And do it in a way that is faithful to the original and honors the original without making fun of the original. Same for so Starsky Dustin, and Hutch. Dustin has an idea those. for a, a, a Dukes of Hazard prequel. A prequel? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. young it's Uncle Jesse? No, well, kind of, but it's mostly the it's it's the fall of of Boss Hog. I could see that. But it's so you get you get you know the the families that the cousins are from, and and try, believe me, um, I don't necessarily want this, but I think it's a clever <laughs> idea. Uh, but it's it's why why these characters act the way they do in the original series. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, it's, it's a limited series. You know, it's it's got to be getting a middle and end, right? Sure. Um, but he, he said, I actually I actually want to know why Boss Hog is just so awful. <laughs> well. And we get hints throughout the series that Jesse and Hogg have this history where they used to be friends. Exactly. So you can There's play with that. There's something there. So quite frankly, I would rather see that than someone try and take a show. Because, yes, uh, Sci-Fi Snob, they are products of their time. Yeah. And it's so much stuff that we, we loved as kids or loved when we were younger at a different time of television. And trust me, in 20 years... We're going to be looking back at things like, you know, Westworld was so great in 2020, and now, boy, that just doesn't hold up. Well, you know? Westworld's a remake itself. It's a re. It, well, not only that, it's a remake of a remake of an adaptation. Because there was a TV series called Westworld mm. that was canceled after like three episodes. Uh, <laughs> And it was a it was a TV version of the movie, which right. was an adaptation of uh, the, the novel. Yeah. And then Future World. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it gets complicated. Snob mentions greatest American hero. There's supposed to be another one in the works. But the thing is that it's been in the works for so long. But well, it's a different one because the one the one that we had reported on years ago. That ended up costing us one of our staff members because they didn't like what I said about stuff. That one was the urban 
core high school yeah everything was a direct carbon copy except the teacher was black and that was the only thing that they did different right whereas the newest one that they've been talking about is essentially pitched as a sequel of sorts where you have the next person Mm -hmm. to get the suit after ralph right and you have the opportunity there that you go in a completely different direction and you could also have, is William Cott still alive? I think he is. He, c- he is. he could come back as Ralph right. and do right. the handoff. You could do Which that. Which I would be fine with. As a sequel, it would work fine. Yeah. Even I think, in, I think you know, well, potentially, again, like so many other things, it comes down to writing. Yeah. Buck Rogers, I think, I think you could do a Buck Rogers. But you have to do Buck Rogers as you would John Carter. You have to do Buck Rogers, period. As a period piece, I, I think I think you definitely should. Um, I think that it would be a hard sell. Yeah, and I think that's that's where I, you know, I, just, I think it's a it'd be a hard sell to a modern studio to do it as a period piece, but it probably should be the. I can see with Buck Rogers updating. There's some there's some yellow peril vibes yeah serious but you could but but you could turn that into an alien invasion instead of the chinese exactly and i think that it's kind of like uh, although although nowadays you could pitch the chinese as bad guys because right now in the current time and and, yeah but the the, the time it got greenlit and got developed Mm -hmm. and everything got fine we could be considered the chinese could be sitting there and going okay now everything's fine it would be like red dawn and we make the bad guys north korean because we don't want to take off the chinese you just that was a terrible remake. Give give yourself give yourself an a uh, an enemy that will not come back to haunt you yeah. in an economic or political way. Yeah, and I'm perfectly fine if you want to make the Han an alien invasion force. You can make that work because how many times have we done alien invasions? V, I mean that oh, we even, didn't talk about that one, but it, it wasn't a good remake. But, and the thing is, is that there was a lot of clever ideas that went into the remake. There were a lot. There was a lot of potential there, mm-hmm. but it just never came together. No, it didn't. And it's a shame because it was another one where they actually cast that series pretty well. Um, it just didn't have, you know, and and believe me, the miniseries is definitely a product of its time. <laughs> and I still maintain that one of the worst hand waving. Uh, uh, space wizard moments of, of any science fiction franchise is mm. the wonder child reprogramming computers with, with light effects. Yeah. Okay. It's just, I mean, it was like, what? And, what, and what are my you understanding, doing? my understanding was that wasn't the way it was originally supposed to go. Cause by then, no, cause Kenneth, it was scripted, it was Johnson scripted was as done literally as a hacking scene. It was, it was, it, and it's in the novel. It's yeah. in the novel adaptation of it where it's it, the, the hyper intelligent child basically goes, well, I'm just going to reprogram the computer, and yeah. they do it, as opposed to oh, <laughs> glowy hands, glowy hands, glowy yes, hands. Yes, but it's TV. You got to have the sparkly, sparkly effect for the no, TV. Don't. Now, no. uh, uh, sci-fi snob, to clarify, period piece. I I don't necessarily mean the 20th century, but you make Buck Rogers World War One, Buck Rogers, instead of a modern day Buck Rogers. Put him in his time. 
and then throw him forward to the 25th century and see what he does from there. Because then you have not only a man out of our time going forward, but then he's a man out of their time as well. So he's he's completely discombobulated and and everything is off and mention, new and awkward and different. Not to mention, we have seen our modern character go into the future or the past a lot. Yeah. And one of the ways to keep that story fresh is you pull somebody from a different period of time. So the audience is getting to know what their world is like as well as this other world. So it's you and that and that's a personal taste thing, I know. But at the same time, I think you, you end up with a more interesting story that way than actually just going, okay, it's me in the future. Ta-da. Yeah. You know. But you take, yeah, you take Buck Rogers, Lieutenant Buck Rogers, World War One vet, and, you know, he's, he's Army, and, you know, he's a soldier. He's not an astronaut, and he gets caught up in, you know, you go back to the original Armageddon 2419, 24, 2491, 2419 AD, that book, and go back to the source material. And really... The only thing that you have to change is the bad guy. And if you change the bad guy from the Chinese to the alien, you can still tell that exact same story and have Buck Rogers completely disoriented, but he's a soldier that I know. And well, that's what that that's, that's, we're going to do. That's the most interesting part of the story to tell. Because it's it otherwise it's invading force hero fights invading force with new allies we yeah we've seen that story it's the the interesting part it's the same thing in many ways with because we've seen so many variations of it it's why some people just didn't react to john carter and recognize they didn't they made the mistake of not leaning into the fact that he was the first one to do this because we've seen that story since mm -hmm. and so it's well, the same G thing with Buck gene Rogers. runbury did it what three times with, oh, sure. with the Dylan Hunt character? Uh, quite frankly, um, I'm, I'm personally am, am waiting to see if the new season of Discovery is essentially um, another crack at it. Because I think it is. I, I think there's, there's an be. argument to be made that they've sat there and gone, we're going, it's, it's, a, it's a ship with an experienced crew from a time of, of uh, better, you know, of, of a galactic empire galactic federation right far flung into the far future where that org that Hadn't federation has that. collapsed yep you could and I'm, yeah, like, I'm going okay you could be right yeah they could be and quite frankly mix in, in terms of star trek that's still not a bad idea yeah mix we'll in a little quester out. tapes maybe maybe see, maybe quester shows up <laughs> well we we got I mean, the quester you, tapes it was every episode of data yeah well that that's data true. was in yeah all right. Well, that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, if you have uh, if you have thoughts on on remakes that are better than the originals, feel free to leave those in the comments. Um, oh, Robert says on that note, I love the idea of retro sci-fi and steampunk, but except for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the Time Machine, and the visuals of Sucker Punch, have never found retro sci-fi stories I enjoy. And I think to that because you know John Carter got really close. Mm. Where John Carter fell apart was in the corporate 
side of things. The movie holds up. There's nothing wrong with the movie. What hurt John Carter was the corporate office shenanigans. And I highly recommend that you read John Carter and the Gods of Hollywood because it spells out to the nth degree all of the problems that have plagued every adaptation of John Carter from the get-go. Every adaptation of, of Princess of Mars, the Barsoom novels, all of that. Because this thing has been going on for decades yeah. before we got the movie that we got. And in the midst of that movie getting made, there was a big shakeup in executives, and you now had people that were in charge at Disney that didn't have anything to do with this movie, didn't want this movie to succeed because they were petty and decided, well, the people what we just fired shouldn't look good, so we don't want his project to, to succeed. And there was and this, a lot by the of way, that. Is, this, this is sort of standard operating procedure. By the way, this is this was not limited to this. This is not limited to, to Disney at that time. Oh no, this is, no, this, this goes happened, on all the time. This has happened before. It will happen again. But that's what happened to John Carter. John Carter got sabotaged by well, yeah, the studio that was making it. It just happened to be, and, and again, because it's not new, it just happened to be a really expensive sabotage that was very, very foolish to do. Yeah. Um, and thank you for the super story, chat. Thomas. <laughs> uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I'll just throw, throw out real quickly. The movie is awful, in mm -hmm. my opinion. It's got some great moments. It's a fantastic cast. It's a terrible adaptation of the source material. So um, bad that it caused Sean Connery to retire. Well, that was his film experience, let alone the film. I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure he ever saw the film. Uh, well, but, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. His experience on it was so terrible that he said, well, that's get, it, I'm Generally done. speaking, when you get into a fist fight with the director, it's a bad scene. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if, quite frankly, if you want to see a, a much more faithful version of the source material that is not, in fact, an adaptation of the source material, you watch Penny Dreadful. The first season. You watch, because it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's the same idea that League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the comic book is. Now, I will also say... That if you're a fan of the first, what, two parts of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the two the two story arcs, you can stop there, mm -hmm. and you may not like the later story arcs because the type of story changes. Right. So you know you just have to think about that. But anyway, yeah, it's uh, well. It's and the other punk science fiction horror can be a lot of fun. The other thing, and and let me see if I can find it really quick here before we go out because. At one point, there was a discussion because I think it was Fox Network was talking about doing a new adaptation of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And at some point, we talked about it. And I'm trying to see if I can find it here. Really I quick. have memory of that. Because what we did <clears throat> was we projected forward and said, what if... <laughs> What if you made a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen with the 80s stars? Do you remember we talked about this? I got I to gotta look and see if I can find it here. Because that was a, that was a fun bit of speculation. Um, Although, to be fair, the, the TV landscape we have now, with, with the first um, 
with the kind of shows we're getting, the kind of programming we're getting, the fact that we could actually have a TV show like, uh, you know, the now very clearly Emmy Award winning um, Watchmen series, which is, you know, an adaptation of the same author without being a straight remake or, you know, it's it's even sort of a kind of necessarily a straight sequel. Yeah. the fact that we can get that kind of TV now, this actually would be a better time to try and take a crack at a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen TV series. Okay, so I found I found the reference mm-hmm. over on SciFiForMe.com. It was our fifth episode. It goes back that far, episode five, and it's missing. So ooh, the audio the audio file is missing. So here's what we do. At some point in the not too distant future, we sit down and have, I've, I, having read the series, you haven't, you haven't read the series, have you? I've read the first one. I have okay. to, I have to sit and think if I've read the second one or not. I don't think I have. So here's what we do: is we cast with today's actors, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and and sit there and go, okay, because I can off the top of my head. I've already got some ideas popping into my head about who I would put in certain roles. Mm-hmm. As you go with a faithful or as faithful as you can adaptation yep. of the graphic novel series. I will say for Mina Harker, I'll say Tatiana Maslany. Only because Maybe. we should cast her in a lot. And in all the things, yes. Yeah. No, I, I, I am completely on board. I'm, I am completely on board with that, actually. Um, although... Yeah, we can come back to that. Yeah. Is League of Extraordinary Gentlemen on Comixology? It should be. I would I expect so. it would be. Yeah, maybe. I believe so. Uh, I don't, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think yeah. it is. It, it is, is. It is definitely worth picking up. Yeah. And the, it's, first, the first gotta, two volumes are are really amazing. Yep. And you have to pay attention when you read it. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> and, if you, and, if, and if you really want to, you can find online... Some incredibly detailed analysis of every frame of every issue of that, and it's it's almost a work of art in itself in terms of research. It's yep. beautiful work. All right, and with that, we're going to leave y'all with homework. So go read the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and um, if anybody's out there who's downloaded that audio file from way back when, wow. it'd be nice yeah. to get a copy of it somewhere. I'm sure that it's on the dead hard drive, but you know dead hard drive so we have we we have our own our own doctor who story we have our own missing episodes through no fault of my own uh not because i got rid of them on purpose you didn't didn't tape over them no no they just they've just disappeared i think we've got maybe five that are missing out of all of the ones that we've done out of 240 five of them are missing i'd say we we did okay so so far Anyway, all right, that's going to do it for us, folks. Thanks very much for watching. If you are into saving some money, we got a 10% discount code over at uh, SuperheroStuff.com. When you check out, use the promo code SciFi for me 10 and you will save 10% off your order. And we will be back next week with another discussion of stuff and things. And tomorrow night... A special 100th episode of Salacious Crumbs with the latest Star Wars news. And we're going to do it live. (laughs) So be here back for that. 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. 
And uh, then we will be back here for more of the H2O podcast next week. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.